I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Ben Edmond, founder and CEO of Connected to Fiber, a cloud platform that helps providers plan and monetize their service routes, and Mel Wagner, CEO of Inditel, a consortium of 700-plus rural broadband operators and a customer of Connected to Fiber. We discuss the work that their companies are doing in rural America to accelerate broadband rollout, the specific challenges rural operators are facing with deployment and monetization, including the long delays some are experiencing in getting fiber materials, and what policy decisions would be most beneficial to rural ISPs. Ben and Mel, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me for the podcast today. To start off, I'd love it if you could both share a brief bit about each of your companies and your roles and how uh, your companies work together. So Ben, let's let's kick it off with you first. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for having me today and uh, you know, appreciate Mel joining me on the conversation. My name is Ben Edmond. I'm the CEO and founder of Connected to Fiber. Connected to Fiber is an industry cloud platform really built to create a digital blueprint of providers addressable market. Every location matters in the world of connectivity, and we give a platform to manage those locations, help service providers like Inditel identify serviceability. And then really our goal is to help transform how connectivity is bought and sold in the market and uh, and accelerate the customer experience around that activity. We work with, uh, with Inditel as a partner and have collaborated for a number of years now. And uh, Inditel has been a, a great member of the Connected World ecosystem and uh, look forward to uh, diving into the conversation today together. Thank you, Nicole, hey, for hosting this and, and Ben for extending me an invite as well. It's a nice platform and uh, to discuss so. Uh, our message and uh, to join the the effort on industry-wide basis. But Inditel, not necessarily a household name, but it stands for Independent Alliance of Telecom Companies. And uh, we're into almost approaching 20 years in, in business, uh, going from a nonprofit organization to a for-profit organization over the years. And we represent 32 statewide networks that represent or operate in about 45 of the United States, uh, continental United States. And from that, they, uh, their owners and investors in the Indotel national aggregation model that, that uh, in bringing national opportunities, uh, commercial, government, uh, wireless types of opportunities to the rural space where these individuals, either statewide networks or their member owners that represent over 700 plus rural operators in the ruralist of space, the most sparsely uh, really identified space out there, um, and bringing those national opportunities to the forefront, um, helping them monetize their networks, continue to build their networks on a forward basis. And as well, Intel represents over a half a million miles of fiber. In fact, if we could identify every foot, uh, we'd probably be closer to the million miles, almost primarily in that rural space. And our relationship with Connected to Fiber, again, one of the, I would, I would put us in the charter member uh, category or customer category, even uh, we're involved with their customer advisory board. They've been a valued and I can say fully say trusted partner in helping us to identify more of our inventory and helping our member owners of Inditel 
identify opportunities that are close to their networks even. Uh, we're looking at it a little bit differently, slicing and dicing it, not by the typical on-net or near-net, but by serving wire center and zip codes and other formats that help us bring uh, opportunities to the table for these local and most rules of, of players to help, uh, again, monetize and grow and build their networks. So it's been a great partnership over the years that we've been engaged with Connected to Fiber, and uh, they've certainly helped us scale and, and build and grow this company along with those rural players in the space as well. Awesome. It sounds like you guys are both right in the middle of the action right now uh, where it really matters. So let's talk about some of the specifics around the digital divide in rural America. Mel, can you speak to some of the challenges that the carriers in your network face with rural deployments and why so much of the rural U.S. still lacks internet access uh, in 2021? So now you want me to apply a level of what I call magic. It really is one foot at a time. It's kind of what I narrowed down to. It's the most granular level. And, and it's about the access, building that broadband, and the affordability or the economics of actually being able to do that. Those are challenges when we're, we're speaking to, to try to draw a picture. It is basically fiber to the farmhouse. That's probably the most granular level I can get to. And I have an intimate knowledge of that because I grew up in Northeast Kansas in a farmhouse. And, and the, still the, the, op- the options today are a plain old telephone service line called POTS line or a satellite-based service. And so it, it does get to foot-by-foot type of building of a fiber network. And that's expensive. It runs these days, uh, prices and, and costs have increased about 30% through the course of this multi-year pandemic. And and you're talking upwards of uh, $60,000 a mile and, and deploying fiber. So, and, and then your return on that is perhaps, you know, two to five customers per mile. So the economics don't make sense. And so as far as being in this business and building fiber on a profitable basis, it takes a level of funding. And, and of course, we know that comes from uh, different levels uh, at federal and state and so forth. And, and and the model really shows to be sustainable and to be profitable, at least marginally profitable, reasonably profitable, is upwards of 50% of it needs to be funded or coming from uh, that type of source, subsidies, uh, grants, or loans. So building the fiber um, and the cost associated with it's just capital intensive, as well as the revenue per, per unit is, is, is quite low. And and these areas that we play in, it's space that other carriers didn't play in back decades ago. They overlooked, they chose not to invest in those areas just for the reasons I mentioned previously. And Indotel and my statewide member owners and those rural operators are the ones carrying the water today. So we feel like though that we need to be a critical part of the strategy on a, few, on a forward basis in helping uh, bridge this divide. You talk a lot about the need to monetize the network, so I think I should turn to to Ben. Um, let's hear a bit about how Connected to Fiber helps partners like Indotel and others with monetization of these rural broadband networks. Monetization is really, you know, a critical aspect, uh, as Mel alluded to. You know, a lot of the digital divide is an economic reason. You know, it is a capital-intensive industry. The the density of houses and businesses in rural America versus urban America or even suburban America are vastly different, meaning the, the cash flow that a network operator can expect to receive is going to be a, a different dynamic. So ensuring when you do spend $60,000 a mile to build capital and sometimes only a few homes along that uh, path or a few businesses, 
you want to make sure every single dollar is participating as much as possible onto that capital investment. Connected to Fiber's philosophy is if you don't digitize that world, you can't participate across all the channels, all the opportunities. You can't identify the ways to pull your maximum leverage, whether it's coming from the wholesale market because one of the carriers is selling to a national retail chain, a pharmacy that's serving a local market. But you want to make sure that their understanding of those new assets are available when they're making the decisions on connectivity. Or maybe it's a channel partner. If the channel partner doesn't know the assets exist, they can't go and monetize those with their relationships. And ultimately, connected to Fiber, digitize it. We offer four real mechanisms to give that monetization lever, an API stack for your largest trading partners in a very much uh, API-centric world that everything's moving to. We have a CPQ function, so your internal sellers can get access to transparent information to help them automate the process of returning in a timely manner to improve the customer experience and get access to the data. We have a portal that allows you to extend your serviceability, your product availability, and your pricing even out to the market. And then we have you know what we call uh, list manager, which is a publishing function. So you can constantly keep you know the market up to date where you serve. And this is especially important in rural America where the, the amount of investment going on right now is significant. The change out there is real. The telecom operators that represent ownership into Intel statewide networks are making massive investments into rural America on a, on a daily basis. That information needs to come to life, you know, in order to be monetized. And that's exactly what we help do. Uh, we've alluded to this a little bit, but there's uh, there's a lot of money potentially on the table in Washington, D.C. for a universal broadband. There's also a lot of debates about how that money should be spent. We started at $100 billion. Uh, as we're speaking right now, we've come down to $65 billion. Um, there are also other bills of various uh price tags floating around. I like to get input from people working in the in the places that need the internet on what you want to see from these Washington, D.C. legislators. So what do you want to see from federal broadband legislation? What would help the carriers you work with succeed in bridging the rural digital divide? What's going to help accelerate this? And what do you think is a reasonable time frame for universal broadband in America? That's a question there, Nicole. Thank you for the question, I believe. But <laughs> If nothing else, a, a, a large lesson through the pandemic. I mean, there, there's a significant loss, and unfortunately, of life and of learning and, and, and collaboration. But I think the, the one message that's been constant is no matter who and, and maybe even what industry, broadband is essential. Take that a step further, broadband, but the means on how it's being delivered. The fiber means is the right answer uh, for to be sustainable. You see this terminology of future-proof. Not a complete fan of that, but in my definition, that is using proven carriers, proven resources that have put fiber in the ground, that have uh, supported uh, uh, fiber with uh, to communities and uh, cell sites uh, and government facilities, and having them be the orchestrators of the funds that need to go to putting fiber and more fiber in the ground to expand the, the network into the rural space and, and to bridge that divide. And so to me, it's more of a proven network, but the future proof, I get it. It's about putting, when you put fiber in the ground, you're 
bandwidth is essentially unlimited. We wouldn't have to be talking about 25, 3, or 100, 100, or whatever. A gig plus. Let's just start there and move beyond. That's where we're trying. That's where we need to, to get to where we need to be. And, and some numbers that I saw was, hey, roughly there's 3 million customers that can be added to such a, a high-speed broadband access per year. And roughly there's 40 million households out there that are under or, or unserved. So kind of doing the math, I could put it in the 10 or 12 or 15-year range. And, and I don't think that's going to be acceptable across the board by consumers, let alone should it be by industry players or, or government. But it is uh, providing a reliable, sustainable, and, of course, affordability is part of the equation as well for the consumer, let alone uh, other entities. And, and helping our member owners and those rural operators with their uh, customers, if it's residential or, or commercial, is part of what Indotel does, is bringing them some anchor customers, perhaps ones that they couldn't garner themselves, a government facility or a national commercial account, and helps them build that network. But it's also going to be important to have other forms of funding. Public-private partnerships is one of those that I put toward the top of the list. Uh, incentives. Uh, for these operators, and, and some of them do match the funding that, they, that they're getting, if it's in grant form from the government, to invest in these communities. But looking local is the thing that needs to, to happen, I think, is, and again, being in the business and by nature in the rural space, is those local operators are the ones most intimate with those, the customers, the cities, the businesses in those cities, the residents, the person that's paying their bill probably knows Susie down the road, you know, down on Main Street USA that, that she That, that they pay their bill to. But having that relationship, I think, is important and uh, is a part of the instrumental fact of, one, getting some of that funding and then actually deploying and building with the funds. One bandstand sort of uh, or soapbox uh, element I want to bring to light here that you may, most folks don't know about or, or goes uh, unnoticed. We talk about last foot, last mile. The middle mile is almost not quite as important, but the middle mile element, what is that? It is connecting that community. Once you build it out and giving them high-speed broadband access and Internet service and getting their Netflix and so forth, but they're out there on an island unless they have a robust and a fiber-based connection that gets them beyond that community to, uh, one, more, uh, more options, economical options uh, to get their Internet services and other telecom types of services, including voice and video and so forth. The middle mile element. And today and still, even in the $65 billion that we're talking about, I would I'd be surprised if there's one word in there about middle mile and any earmarking toward middle mile. It's been less than 3% of all the previous funding. And Indotel, in its member network, Uh, with its statewide members and rural operators since 2009 have received about a third of the funding, the different elements that are out there between USDA and RUS and CAF and, and, uh, and so forth, that about a third of that, it's been about $3 billion. It doesn't seem like a big number now that we're talking about $65 billion post-pandemic. But they've received a good uh, amount of funding in the past and in investing that in the communities. But Less than 3% goes to the middle mile. And, and it, part of Indotel's mantra and mission by nature is, is to assist those statewide and those rural operators with getting to the Tier 1 or Tier 2 city, perhaps to get them bigger, better solutions at better priced, more affordable priced types of, of, of rates. And um, I actually joined Chairman Pai, former Chairman Pai, 
for a roundtable down at, in Emporia, Kansas, my alma mater, Emporia State University, back in 2019, and, and uh, on this initial phase one comments for RDOF, and I asked about, is there any amount earmarked for middle mile? And I kind of get kind of no response to blank stare, and, and, and I recommended that uh, such, and roughly, I would, if I put out a number, it'd be 20% that needs to be earmarked for the middle mile segment of building the last foot. I think we should get you in a congressional hearing. Um, ben, do you have anything to, to add to that? I'd echo a lot of the comments that Mel made. I, I fully support the uh, investment that the government is making into the operators to continue to deploy. It is one thing to build the network, but you need to know the, the know-how and the systems and the people to maintain and support and deliver great services as well. The industry deploys about $80 billion a year in capital. So $65 billion more coming from the uh, public sector funding will definitely accelerate things. And I think we've welcomed. A lot of people have raised a voice around the mapping you know, being challenging. And to me, that is policy decisions that the regulators have made. And simply making different decisions will allow the industry to do what it does of deploy the right uh, network in the right places and, uh, and achieve success for the customers out there. So just to round things out, I'd love to hear a little bit from each of you on how your companies are positioned for the rest of 2021 and how you're preparing for, you know, a fiber broadband bonanza, essentially, uh, particularly with potential supply shortages and the like. Um, let's let's start with you, Ben. Appreciate it. Uh, Connected to Fiber is growing uh, significantly and will continue the pace. Uh, we just raised $12 million to, to fund our next round of growth and uh, expect our growth to, to be significant. How we live, how we play, how we entertain, how we work has all moved to a digital world. And that digital world does not work without connectivity. The entire ecosystem recognizes the importance post-pandemic of enabling the ecosystem to deliver a customer experience in real time with the right connectivity at the right places. And uh, Connected to Fiber is well positioned to invest in the ecosystem, help the ecosystem monetize you know the investments they're making in people and network and uh, and processes and uh, we'll continue to enhance that capability and you know transform how people buy and sell connectivity the last this multi-year and that's why i put it pandemic we've actually experienced uh, now 2020 and now 2021 50 percent growth in revenue both in both years and, and and it's coming from accounts that are in locations and, and customers that are essential and again, I got wrapped around that a little bit on the definition of essential versus non-essential when we're talking about employees and companies and 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 so forth. And and these were the essential types: the the medical facilities and uh, government operations and, uh, and and the like, uh, grocery stores and so forth. Those are types of account. And that uh, demand was, has been there all the way along through this pandemic. And it's, again, helped us monetize and, and bring those opportunities to the forefront for our member owners and serving those types of essential businesses. But it is continuing to execute on, for my uh, rural operators, uh, many of them being awardees of this funding to execute on that. And that's going to be a challenge because of the supply chain shortages. And I talked to my board president just this morning and he is talking about fiber that he will not get for a year with his already estimates and, and his orders in, in hand. He was ahead of the curve a bit going in early this year. 
and use some creative tactics like prepaying an entire order uh, in advance. And that really didn't help with speeding up. So the process, but he's talking about potentially a year for him to get fiber in hand uh, to deploy this uh, in, in, into the ground. And, and so I think there's going to be a level of, uh, I don't know about forgiveness, but certainly flexibility if that's such a thing. When I also use the word federal government in the same sentence of them um, allowing and giving some some level of, of leniency on paying back those types of funding elements, especially when they're loan based and you have a certain time frame to execute on them. So I think that's that's almost a given. And I believe the government's going to need to also engage potentially like not as critically as important, but maybe getting pretty close, at least in, in our realm here in world of assisting with the supply chain shortages like they did with the PPE shortages during a critical window of time. And that may be what it takes to get us to the finish line or get us further down the road, I should say, in, in more of an expedited way. But I do have a couple of members, I'll just give you again, painting a picture and some examples, is that they have funding that they're executing on today and with the supply chain shortages and the 30% increase in costs mainly due to materials, they're trying to put this fiber to the home in southeast Arkansas. Um, and uh, imagine trying to build out in the Black Hills of South Dakota, where granite and other types of hard material that is uh, required to uh, to bore through. And, and again, those are the areas that some of my members play in today and are attempting to get that broadband to those types of customers that are just as much in need of it and rely on it as anyone in, in a particular metro area. But those are some of the challenges yet and what we, you know, looking to do moving into 2021 and beyond. But I tell you, this timetable looks like it's it's uh, uh, really could drag things out as far as being successful with deployment of fiber. Wow. Well, it should be yet another interesting year ahead. I want to thank you both so much for your time. I really enjoyed getting to speak with you and I hope you'll keep me posted on, on your work and whatever else you have coming. Thanks again, Ben Edmond and Mel Wagner for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Tian Fu, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.